Matthew chapter 10. Actually, we're going to start at the end of chapter 9 because, in my humble opinion, this belongs in chapter 10, all right? Um, so we've been going through the book of Matthew together. By the way, if you want notes, you can click on the thing underneath the thing on the, on the video, or you can just go to the back of the room if you're here in the room and get Susan has printed those off for you, all right, um, if you want them. So we've been talking, we've been watching Jesus travel from place to place, right, in his public ministry, and he's been doing miracles like everywhere, just lighting little fires all over the place, little Holy Spirit fires, um, doing miracles and preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? That's his, that's, his, that's his thing. And he repeats this over and over again. He says, this is what I'm doing. I'm preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he does it and then he demonstrates it with miracles. And he does miracles for two reasons. One is to confirm his message, which is the kingdom is actually here. This is a new time, a new era. And two, to demonstrate that he is the authority. He is a unique authority that what he says happens always. <laughs> right? Even when, when, when it's death, even when it's an impossible, incurable disease, what he says goes no matter what, right? He's demonstrating that over and over and over again. And now Matthew's going to turn his focus to Jesus and his disciples, okay? So that's what we're going to read this morning. So look at Matthew 9, 35, and I'll just read on through to uh, verse 7 in chapter 10. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Now that translation, if you look at the NASB, for example, it says every type of disease, every type of affliction. That's what that means. Um, so there is no category of disease, no category of affliction that Jesus could not heal, including the ones we think no one can touch, right? Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, the writer of this gospel, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Isn't that interesting that Jesus gave, even gave his authority to the one who would betray him? These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he gives them authority and he gives them the message they're supposed to say. Here, say this thing, do it this way, right? So Jesus sees the crowds before him and his, he is filled with compassion and he says, that there's, he, he, he admits, he confirms, he confesses out loud that he is not enough to reach all these people. He has a limitation. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son, has taken on flesh and he has a limitation. And his limitation is he can't be everywhere at once. He can't touch every single one of these people and proclaim to every single one of these people the good news of the kingdom. He has a limitation. Now that's astounding. We can stop right there and just worship, right? 
It's amazing. The one who formed and fashioned all of these people and made the stars and the sun and the moon and the earth and the planets and gravity itself and air and water, who's everywhere all the time and fills the universe and beyond has a limitation. He's taking it on himself. He can't be everywhere at once. So in order for these people to all have access to the gospel of the kingdom, there must be more ministers of the gospel. More harvesters. That's what he says. The, the harvest is bigger than, who, than what we have harvesters for. We need more harvesters. And he looks at his disciples and he commands them to do something. He says, I want you to pray. You need to pray earnestly, like dead seriously. You need to pray for more harvesters in the fields. And then he commissions his disciples as the answer to their own prayer. You ever done that? You just felt this burden to pray? for your neighbor or something or for some breakthrough or whatever and you start praying and then it's like all of a sudden you find God just looking at you like <clears throat> be the answer to that prayer and you're like oh wait a minute I was thinking I would hang out here in my house and just pray this thing and then you would send or do you know Jesus would appear in a dream to this person somehow and I would not have to be the one to go and walk and go and speak and do the thing and he says no so God commands the prayer and he commands the answer often prepared before the prayer is even spoken. Isn't that crazy? He, he had to prepare these guys and draw them together and then tell them to pray for the thing that he had already prepared to do. This is how it works. You think I had this original prayer that God has never thought of. <laughs> and I'm praying it and I have to get God's attention to get him to do this thing that he didn't think of. And the truth is, he told you, he decreed that you would pray, and he has already sent the answer to that prayer ahead of time and done all the work, and all you got to do is pray. I think it's absolutely amazing, and it's absolutely how ministry works. You find yourself in a situation where God is saying, I want you to minister to this person. I want you to preach the gospel to this person. I want you to, to, to pray for them for healing, or whatever it is that God puts you in place to do, and you think this is a surprise, but it's a surprise only to you. God, you're just a part of God orchestrating things to come to this point in this moment for him to do a thing that he's already decided he's going to do. He doesn't need you. He can swap you out for somebody else anytime. Just move pieces around. Reshuffle the deck and use somebody else. Look at verse 1. I think it's amazing. I already kind of mentioned this as I was reading, but it says Jesus summoned his 12. In the NAS, it says Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Because Jesus didn't heal everybody. There are people Jesus just walked away from. I mean, he had crowds of people, and he would leave a town and go to the next one because the Father told him to. Leaving behind people like, hey, wait a second. I got this thing on my neck. Can you just <laughs> pray for this? I got a problem I need you to fix. And he'd move on because Jesus was waiting for a time when the Spirit would come and multiply him in the earth. Because the point was not him to heal everybody. The point was him to demonstrate and say, hey, this is how you do it. Jesus has demonstrated his own absolute authority. We've been talking about that for weeks. And he now gives some of that authority to his disciples. Now this begins to blow my mind too because these guys are not ready for this. 
I mean, if you think you're not ready for whatever God's called you to do, these guys are really, really not ready. I mean, it was, it's like infants with chainsaws. You're going to give them that authority? The authority to speak and the dead to come out of the grave and leprosy to fall off? And you're just going to send them out just willy-nilly, just use that authority however they want? Specifically, he gives them the authority to cast demons out of people, to heal every type of sickness and every type of disease. They have been ordained as laborers in the harvest, the answer to their own prayer, and the answer to the human limitation of Jesus to be everywhere at one time. And this is for the same purpose that Jesus has been demonstrating, to demonstrate the kingdom is near, and that they, in their case, they are not the Messiah, but they have been with him. Because the only way to get this authority is to have Jesus lay hands on you and give it to you. The authority of Jesus transfers from person to person. And it's a demonstration of who you've been hanging out with. There's no way you can do these things because you guys are knuckleheads. You 12 guys, you guys are uneducated knuckleheads and you're walking around doing this amazing stuff. Who taught you how to do this? Who gave you this? It must have been that guy that does it, the Messiah. Look at what he commissions them to do. He does ask them to do some very specific things. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Do all the things that demonstrate the signs of the Messiah. That's verse 8. Also in verse 8, it says, do not enrich yourself on your ministry. Profiteering is antichrist. We still have this problem today, don't we? Don't you received the gospel for free. It didn't cost you. It cost Jesus everything, but it didn't cost you anything. You got it as a free gift. Who are you to charge and profiteer off of that free gift? It's not just wrong or unethical. It's anti-Christ. But he also tells them to depend on the support of those they're sent to. You see the, the balance there? Don't enrich yourself. It's messed up. But do this in a way, like he said, don't bring any money with you. Don't bring any supplies with you. Not a backpack. Nothing. Fully depend on those who you're ministering to and their support. Don't hedge your bets all in. If I go out there and starve, so be it. (laughs) He says, not everyone must be hospitable, but someone has to be. You got to find a person of peace, somebody who welcomes you into their home and you stay with them. If no one welcomes you, or if they welcome you and then reject you, you knock, you leave their home, knock the dust off your feet, and God will take care of them. But if someone welcomes you, you bless them. A lack of hospitality is the surest sign of people not being open to the gospel. Do not waste your time. Don't cast pearl before swine. So Jesus gives them these instructions. They're very clear. He says, go out. Here's the authority you need. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should say. Here's where you should stay. And don't be a leech on people and enrich yourself on them. The authority is confined to the 12 names listed here in Matthew 10. I'm going to fix that in a minute because God fixed it. But right here in these verses, he he doesn't give everybody this authority. He just gives it to these 12 guys. But right before Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, remember that? 
That's the rest of the story. That was Easter. What did he do? When he appeared to the disciples, he said that he had been given all authority. And then he uses that authority to commission the disciples again, but now for all time, and not just in this confined area of Israel and the lost people of Israel, but now he expands the scope of that commission to what? To the entire world. But what he doesn't do in that moment is lay hands on them and give them a new authority. What he says is, he says, wait. And someone's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he will fill you with the authority and the power that you need and you will be sent. All right. And from that, from Pentecost on, what we see is you see the Holy Spirit being transferred from person to person to person to person to person to person. The Spirit of Christ moving from person to person to person to person to person. From there, throughout the church at the time, and then all the way to us. Each of us receiving the same commission and the same authority over and over. But in, so instead of this, his ordained authority being confined to those 12 names at that particular time and space, he tells them to wait and that authority is now handed off to all of us. So you carry this right now if you're a Christian. Matthew 10, chapter 10, is a prototype of Acts chapter 2. Jesus laying his hands on them and saying, I commission you to do these things. It's just the, the, the first seed, the first test, the first excursion, the prototype of what he would do in Acts chapter 2 and with us and with the world. It's a great model for training too, by the way. Do it on a small scale. Okay, good job. You kind of messed up here. There were some demons we couldn't cast out, Jesus. I don't know what's going on. We got super excited. He said, well, did you pray? No, you didn't pray. Well, something won't come out that way. You're going to have to ask me. You're going to have to pray. Even though I'm not there physically with you, you're going to still have to talk to me about it. So they had to learn some lessons, take some bumps, take their lumps, and keep going. So look what else Jesus says. Jesus has more instructions. He's going to predict how this is going to go, and it's not going to go easily. It's not going to be all like, I'm the hero. I roll into town with this great new message and all this authority, and I'm yaking demons out of people and healing the sick, and I'm the guy. And it's going to be great. The people will cheer because they cheered for Jesus. But what happens to Jesus? He goes, I don't trust these crowds cheering because I do cool things for them. And he withdraws and withdraws and withdraws all the way to the point of dying on the cross. So Matthew 10, 16 to 23, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, you are not the wolf. Right. You're not the strong, mighty, impressive fearful wolf who can go and do as he pleases and walk around in his own strength and his own ability because he's a wolf and he does what he wants. No, no, no. You're still sheep. You're weak little meh. That's you. Not You're meh. That's your sound effect. Right? Not big, scary, I'm going to stand off the devil. No, you're not. You're meh. You need somebody else to be scary, right? To be the, be the one with power. So verse 17, beware of men. <laughs> Don't trust them. People do crazy things, right? For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. I thought this was going to be a motivational speech. 
And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for you are to say, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This exact thing happened. Read Acts. This exact thing happened. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to get to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. Yay. That's exciting, isn't it? That's the truth. This is like a description of church history. Not just early church history, but all of church history. This is the story. As we are scattered and scattered and scattered over and over and over again by those who reject the gospel, who do the opposite of hospitality, do not welcome us in, but reject us out, and it drives us to the next town. And what goes with, it, with us? The Holy Spirit. That authority is never rescinded. And every place we go, we just light more fires. And we may feel like we're just running from the devil, running from persecution. Ah, they're trying to kill us. But what we're doing is we're just spreading the gospel. And all of our brokenness and what feels like. I mean, how many Christians over church history have felt like absolute cowards and failures? Fleeing from one painful thing to another. Going, ah... I should be more courageous and I should have stayed in town and died for Jesus. Instead, I just packed up and slipped away in the middle of the night onto another city. This is terrible. I thought it was going to be way, way more exciting than this. Where's my big moment? And Jesus is like, I told you this was going to happen and this is the plan. I will scatter you to the four winds and you will bring me with you, right? So Jesus comforts us. It's not all bad news. Don't be sad. Verse 26 to 33, he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that not will, will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim in the, on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. So this not fearing persecution, not fearing calamity, not fearing rejection is not dependent on you being super confident and not caring what people think. I don't care what people think about me. Well, something's wrong with you. Because I don't want to care what people think of me, but I do. That's normal. The answer to not fearing rejection and persecution is to have a heavenly, eternal perspective on who God is. Jesus is no, in no way claims that you will escape pain like this. Instead, he invites you to value your eternal future more than your present. You don't fight for your own comfort and your own safety now. Instead, you just 
have a perspective on him. Like, why would I fear those who can just kill my body? You know, all you can do is kill me. All you can do is deliver me over to Jesus in person and give me a quicker path to heaven because it's easy street there. So that's all you can do is write me a ticket to heaven. Cool. Why am I afraid of you? He's the one I fear above all else because he can not only destroy my body like that. Just cease to hold me together. Just all he has to do is just not do something. Not hold the molecules in my body together and make me still exist with every breath. But he can also cast me into hell if he wants to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him. <laughs> right? He's the one I'm going to follow because he loves me and he knows every hair on my head. He shaped me in my mother's womb. He knows me. He covers me. He's good to me. He blesses me. He has given me many gifts. He provides for me. And who are you? Who is this guy threatening me? Right? You have to have this eternal heavenly perspective in order to live, in order to not be in fear. This is as true now as it ever was. Whatever it is you're worried about or afraid of, whether it's some illness or diagnosis or what in the world is going to happen with our economy, is the United States going to blow up just and disintegrate, or is it all going to be okay, right? Am I going to have a job tomorrow or not have a job? Can I have all these things we fear, and you try not to fear, and the more you try not to fear, the more you fear, because all you're doing is staring at your fear. And obsessing over not fearing. It's like if you had a nice chocolate cake. You're, like, you're just staring at it saying, don't eat the chocolate cake. Do not eat it. Ben, don't eat it. Don't. Don't eat it. What are you going to do? You're going to eat it. Because you're, you're staring at it. <laughs> right? If what, what's better is to look at something else. Just go look at something else. And this is a serious truth to our, the way our souls work. Is He's saying, behold me, look at me, feast on me. Remember who I am. Remember who you are. You're a sheep. You're not a wolf. Just let me cover you. And the fear dissipates when you do that. So I think this is like taking one of those fragile, expensive Fabergé eggs you know what I'm talking about, little ornate little egg thingies? And they're really fragile and they're worth like thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and you have this precious, fragile thing and you give it to a toddler. And you say, okay, you, you're in charge of this now. Don't break it. Be responsible. Go. Now run through that obstacle course. And people are going to throw things at you and make it really hard. And I want you to carry that. It's yours. Jesus has given us the thing that he died for, the ministry and the mission that he died for. The Son of Man gave his life for. He has given it to us toddlers. And he's like, here, this glorious thing, I have been given all authority. I died for you. Here's what I won. Now, don't. Now, now let me tell you, it's going to be hard. They're going to throw things at you. They're going to hate you. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to run you out of town. Don't break it. And you're like, what are you doing? <clears throat> Do you feel that way sometimes? 
Like, I, you know, I feel like I'm just running from one fire to another. I'm just escaping the pain of one thing to get to another thing. Running from city to city. Maybe you're fleeing here from another place of pain. You're thinking, maybe, maybe we'll land here and it won't be so painful. Much less, how do I take care of this precious thing? <coughs> I think there's at least one reason why God has done this, or I, maybe it's two in one is that he can include his kids. That's us. If you're in Christ, you're one of his kids. You're in the family. He can include us in the joy of his work while at the same time ensuring that there's no mistake as to who should get the glory for the result. If you're a dad or a mom or a grandparent, you know this feeling of doing the joy of including your kids in something you're doing that you think is important. <laughs> And the joy of doing something important with them is great. And it has nothing to do with whether or not they're good at it. You just want them to participate with you because it's joyful. It's part of your heart. And God does that with us, but he makes sure that at the end of the day, no creature in heaven or earth will say, wow, those human beings really pulled it off. Aren't they great? That Eduardo, wow, he had such potential and he lived up to all of it. I'm glad it was a good decision to hinge all of eternity on Eduardo. No one's going to say that. They're not going to go, wow, if it weren't for cotton, we'd have been toast. No one's going to say that. Because we're just a bunch of knuckleheads. We're just a bunch of sheep. Aren't we? We're toddlers given this precious thing that's fragile and there is nothing more valuable in the universe than this mission we've been given. And we are ill-equipped to do it. And he's given it to us because he just wants to include us in what he's doing. He's a good father. And at the end of the day, all of heaven is going to bow and rejoice, including us. We'll put our faces on the floor. We'll throw whatever silly crowns we've been given at his feet. And we'll just worship him because nobody else gets credit. We will be bewildered for eternity as to how in the world we got here. And these 12 disciples are just a beautiful example of it. It's why he didn't call smart guys. The smartest guy in the room betrayed him. The smartest guy in the room was the worst guy in the room. He's like a negative example. Don't be that guy. He's the one that always kind of had, seemed like, oh, he's smart. He's got it together. And Judas was the worst. So this is what we've been called to do. You're the plan. <laughs> You're like, okay, Jesus, what's the plan? All right, you got this impossible mission. What are we going to do? He goes, pray. Pray earnestly. We don't have enough harvesters. All right, let's pray. Who are you going to send? Because, man, it's not looking good. There's not a lot of good... There's not there's slim pickings out there. Not, not a lot of good people to choose from. They're just a bunch of toddlers. Well, we're going to pray. And he says, all right, good job. He prayed, now go. All right, Jesus, so what's the plan? For real. Like, all jokes aside, right? This is how I feel every morning. But that's how we're supposed to feel because we're not it. So I want to I see what God will do. 
I just want to see what he'll do through us. So I, why don't we do this? I hadn't planned on doing this. But if you have some, uh, uh, if you need a miracle for something, whether it's a physical healing, whatever, you get to choose what you want to ask God for. I just want, I, we, I want to pray for you. Not just me, but we're all going to pray. And if you're online, I don't know where my camera is, right there. Um, do the same thing. Like if you're with people like in your living room or whatever, just kind of indicate to them that you'd like prayer. And so if you'd like, if you want to ask God for something, for a miracle, I want you to just stand up where you're at. Or, and I know COVID and everything, but um, I'd like to lay hands on people if you would allow it. So if you want, if you're willing for somebody to lay hands on you, just stick your hand up. Um, and so let's, uh, let's accommodate that as best we can. If you're near somebody, you can always lay hands on someone and they can lay hands on you and you can both get prayer at the same time, right? We can do that, right? And I just want to pray. It's not my faith, it's not yours. It's who your faith is in. So if Jesus has given us this authority and it's been passed to us by the Spirit, then why don't we start using it and just see what will happen, all right? So if you're online, I'm, I'm going to pray for you too and pray for us and we'll just see what God does, okay? So God, we just, um, just confess that it's not us. We're just a bunch of sheep. My voice is nothing. My power is nothing, but yours is immeasurable. So God, we are, we confess our weakness and we confess our faith in you. And we ask you to work miracles among your people and that you would remind us and all those who will ever hear of these stories, that you would remind us that you are the Messiah and we have, are the people who have been with you. We are your friends. We are in your family. God, we just proclaim over this city that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is not business as usual. God, I pray that you would demonstrate that through us, through your people. That you would use us, this gaggle of sheep, to demonstrate that you are, in fact, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one with all authority and all power. And you died for us and you rose again on the third day. And you have declared through your church, through your people, that the kingdom has come. And you are coming again. God, would you use even our physical brokenness? <laughs> God, would you use... Would you turn our mourning into gladness? Turn our ashes into joy as a demonstration of your kingdom. Because all we have is our brokenness. All we have really is our weakness. And so we offer that to you now. Do with it what you will. Mold it into something glorious. God, I pray for testimonies of restoration, physical restoration, relationships, restored, lives changed, lives redirected, 
minds fixed, body chemistries balanced, hips replaced, hearts fixed, diabetes cast out. God, even the impossible things like cancer, Alzheimer's, Amen. So whatever your thing is, I just want you to name it if you have it. Just name it before God and ask him to heal you. God, we fear only you, not the names of the things that have been, we've been diagnosed with. The labels we have been put on us, we don't honor those things. We honor only you, God. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So if you're in a small group, um, I want to encourage, if you're, well, if you're not in one, get in one. Uh, but if you're in one, I just want to encourage you this week to follow up on this moment. If, there's, if nothing happened, uh, don't be like, well, I can't say nothing happened because that's a lack of faith. No, it's just, it's just what didn't happen. Okay? It's not a lack of faith. Don't misunderstand what faith is. And then and say it. And say, could you guys pray for me again? And don't just drop whatever the thing is you're praying for. Uh, say it and ask for prayer again. And, and stay on that. And just keep praying. Right? Um, don't, don't, you don't need to try to have faith by yourself. That's what the community is for, okay? All right, so I will benedict you. I don't know if that's a proper use of that word, but it's going to happen, so just let it happen, all right? You're about to be benedicted, all right? So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. See you next week. Love you guys.